Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, joined, as always, by Michael O'Neill in Syracuse, New York. Howdy, Michael. Hey, David. And, folks, I'm really excited because tonight is Open Lines. That means we'll talk about what you want to talk about here on A Green Way Forward. Before we begin, a reminder, if you have not yet signed up online, go to the website agreenwayforward.org, sign up so you can get announcements about guests, topics, and soon-to-be premiums that are available to folks who are subscribing at agreenwayforward.org. In addition, if you are watching us live on Facebook, please share this page right now with on your own page or any other page that you manage so we can continue to build the audience. Because remember, with a hat tip to Gil Scott Heron, the revolution may not be televised, but it can be brought to you over sources of non-corporately filtered news information and analysis like a green way forward. So as I said, it's open lines, which means if there's a topic or a question about the Green Party that you'd like to ask, Drop it in the comment section if you're watching live on Facebook. Uh, remember that this program is also available on iTunes or any other platform where fine political podcasts are available. I will say that Michael and I have come up with a couple of topics that we want to uh, cover, th- sort of things that we think are uh, on our minds and may well be on yours. One is the climate strikes that have been happening across the world or just happened. Uh, another, the college admission scandal, uh, of course, the the horrific shooting and mass murder in New Zealand at the Christ Church. Uh, and then there are some upcoming events that we think that Greens ought to know about and might be interested in. So those are just a couple of topics that I'm going to throw out uh, as we launch right in. And I will actually get us started with the climate strikes. You know, Michael, I know that you have been typically reluctant uh, or shall we say, prickly about the use of the word strike, because it has a very powerful meaning, specifically in organized labor. It is a very powerful tactic, but one that you sometimes don't like because you think it's overused or used inappropriately. So we know that there are youth-led climate strikes that happened all across Europe and uh, on some high schools today. I'm going to actually stop to ask you, Is do you think that we actually witnessed a climate strike? Prickly. Wow, David, really coming out, (laughs) coming out swinging. Um, All right. So here's my concern. It's not just about semantics. The strike in terms of a supermajority of workers walking out of a job site or a number of job sites and shutting down production is one of the most powerful weapons that working people have in the fight against capitalism. It may, it's arguably the most powerful weapon. I'm glad you made that correction because I was going to uh, suggest there is no more powerful uh, weapon nonviolently that we have. Right. And so, and, and the thing is a, a strike, if you do a strike halfway, it's not really a strike. And actually you end up putting a lot of people in danger If you commit to a strike and you publicly commit to a strike and you actually don't have the worker participation and worker solidarity and commitment to what it takes to uh, to really commit to a strike and pull it off, you can really ruin a lot of people's livelihoods and lives. So that is why I I think we should exercise a lot of care around the use of the word strike and that when we use the word strike, we know what we're talking about. Having said that, regards to youth climate strikes. 
I mean, we're not talking about a traditional workplace environment or how we typically think of workplace environments. I mean, schools are a site of social reproduction and they are a site of labor in the form of the people who are working and teaching at the schools, but also the students are participating in a kind of labor. And also strike sounds better than walkout, right? Than student walkout. So I don't have an answer for what we should call the the youth climate strikes aside from a climate strike. But I do think it's worth noting what we are talking about when we use that word. And I appreciate you, David, bringing that up. Um, but I think that the climate strikes that were demonstrated around the world were a hopeful sign of youth militancy around this issue and making their demands to the generations who currently control the levers of power. And, you know, what a demonstration of youth power it really was, because I think it was, in fact, a climate strike, precisely because these were students basically walking out of, uh, of classrooms. And to put a fine point on it, 1.4 million young people in 123 countries literally either skipped school or went to school and then walked out to demand uh, policies that actually address the climate crisis. Uh, this is probably the largest environmental protest that the world has ever seen so far. And I really appreciate uh, what Swedish activist Greta Thunberg said, quote, this movement had to happen because we didn't have a choice, she said. We know there is a climate crisis. We know because everything we read and watch scream at us that something is very, very wrong and adults aren't doing anything about it, end quote. So Thunberg is 16 years old. Uh, she began skipping school to strike in front of Sweden's uh, parliament in August uh, students in other countries began to follow her lead. She's begun to get media attention. And what gets me, Michael, and what is making me so inspired by Greta and these other young people is she's not backing down. She's not allowing the powers that be to control the messaging, uh, as frankly we're seeing happen in the U.S., especially around uh, the uh, the kids after the Parkland shooting who basically began to immediately parrot Democratic Party talking points. The strikes in other parts of the world, these climate strikes, are something different, which also leads me to ask, why weren't these strikes as large, as big, and as well-publicized in the U.S. as they were in Europe? That's a great question, David. And I think that we have to look at, well, what is the most prominent leader around uh, youth climate action right now? And that would be the Sunrise Movement. And right. to, to, be, to put a fine point on it, Michael, the most prominent funder of U.S. youth climate. Yes, action. right. Yeah, well, that, well, right. That's how you framed this part of the discussion, David, is why wasn't uh, this more prominent in the United States? Sure. In the U.S., it's the Sunrise Movement. Absolutely. So in the United States, what we're talking about, um, why wasn't this more prominent? Well, there is a youth climate strike U.S. organization, and they had co-sponsors for this action from, you know, Greenpeace and 350.org and another a number of, of green-related organizations, green small g, that one would expect. Uh, but the Sunrise Movement was noticeably absent from the list of co-sponsors. And, and that is where a lot of young people and, and even just the general body politic, that's where they're looking to 
for direction on what the youth climate movement is doing in the United States. And they're just, they weren't present. They weren't part of it. And we have to wonder why. And, you know, Michael, you know why, I know why, and I bet watchers and listeners of A Green Way Forward know why, and I'm going to actually say it out loud. The answer is because the Sunrise Movement is basically funded by the foundation world that also funds the myriad Democratic Party front groups. It's a reason why the Sunrise Movement has lifted up Alexander Alexander Octavio Cortez and her call for a Green New Deal that does not address the military-industrial complex or U.S. empire, and a Green New Deal that does not address capitalism itself or transform society. So the Sunrise Movement is absolutely interested in uh, climate mitigation, but only if and in manner and to the extent in which it can be done without transforming the economic system. And I'll tell you straight up, Michael, I don't believe that we can actually avert this climate catastrophe unless we restructure the economy, unless we replace capitalism with an eco-socialist perspective. And David, I want to um, give a shout out to Betsy, who has written in, and I think her comment highlights a point I wanted to make, which is she said that she attended a gathering at the St. Paul, Minneapolis State Capitol on the climate strike day on uh, that was on Friday, I believe on March 15th. And uh, at the state Capitol there in St. Paul, Minneapolis, there were about 1200 students. They were vocal, energetic and committed. And it was cold out there on the Capitol steps there in mid-March in, in Minnesota. So we want to certainly lift up and praise all of the organizers and participants in the United States who uh, used the climate strike day of action to uh, make demands on this critical issue. We are by no means trying to diminish your accomplishments or your efforts. We are just trying to connect the dots about the um, some of the larger structural issues here in comparing the relative prominence of the day of climate action in the United States to what we perceive, what we understand to be more widespread and more militant action around the climate in other countries. Absolutely. And I want to thank you, Betsy, for that comment and lift up, uh, especially uh, Isra Hirsi, who's the daughter of the headline making first term representative Ilhan Omar, who we've talked about on this program before, uh, who was one of the leaders. There were actually three young uh, women uh, in the U.S. who helped to convene and organize uh, climate strike actions in the U.S. in over 100 cities. So there was Isra Hirsi, who I've already mentioned daughter of Representative Ilhan Omar. It was also Alexandria Villasenor and Haven Coleman. So there are people actually doing the work who are, in fact, militant, who are courageous, who are bucking the system. And I guess this is the thing that makes me so excited. And I don't mean just excited like rah-rah for my team, but like really intellectually on pins and needles, because here's what I'm seeing, folks. I'm seeing late-stage capitalism and the inherent contradictions that are associated with capitalism are becoming more and more acute. The system is going to break. It is, in fact, breaking down. And as that happens, I believe that we're going to have a choice in the next decade. Do we embrace eco-socialism or do we descend into fascism? So that's not exciting in the sense of, oh, how fun it's exciting in the tr in the true sense of the word, like, oh, my God, we are living in a moment of extreme 
activity. We're going to either be eco-socialist or fascist. We'll know what happens uh, in the next decade, which we'll live in. And not but. And as we think about that incredible pressure, it is also manifesting in both the Democratic and Republican Party, the level of polarization that's taking place. Anybody who's watching is realizing that the political parties in the United States of America, the fissures are getting wider and deeper. They're literally fracturing. I don't know for certain (laughs) whether the Democratic Party actually – becomes a party of FDR and what I'll call social democracy, uh, or whether it uh, the neoliberals continue to control it uh, until it's completely irrelevant. And that's exciting too, because we don't know what's going to happen. So when Michael talks about creating the larger context and sort of connecting the dots, I think that we're talking about dots that are not merely intellectual curiosity, But this is a deadly game that we're playing, and I'm proud to see so many Green Party people who are actively involved and who have made that first important step, which is to break from the uh, neoliberal-controlled leadership of the Democratic Party to create our own institutions. (laughs) Yes, David, existential terror and and anxiety is a kind of excitement. It certainly does get the blood pumping. It can certainly uh, clarify one's focus. And yeah, I agree that something that's going to be interesting is uh, as Sam Gindin and Leo Panich, which are two writers and, and uh, leftist theater theorists that I really enjoy, they talk about how, you know, capitalism already circumvented and defanged the New Deal form of social democracy. So we can't count on just being able to roll back to that because they already they already know how to defeat that. They've, they, they've already right. worked that out before. So we will have to push through to something new. So when people talk about, well, a kind of social democracy, Green New Deal versus an eco-socialist Green New Deal, it's not just a matter of half a loaf of bread is better than none. It, and, and, you know, well, we should just settle for a social democracy Green New Deal. It's, I'm not even sure that's even going to work because we're dealing with a different set of capitalist forces than than workers were facing in the 1930s. And that New Deal that they won was already defanged and diffused in the, by the late 1970s. It certainly was, Michael. And what we actually uh, saw from that uh, defangment is actually why neoliberalism actually sort of emerged and became the next thing. So, you know, to me, like I, I follow this work and I, I study both history and I, I study uh, social movement theory, not so I can be a better movement trivial pursuit player. I do these kinds of uh, studies so that we can actually understand what the heck is going on so we can make better plans today to win. Because when I say I'm a revolutionary, it's not rhetoric. It is, it, it is sincere. It is truthful. And I'm not a green out of some sort of naive hope. I'm a green out of cold, calculated analysis about how power operates and what power is willing to do. Because I got news for you. I genuinely believe that the leadership of the Democratic Party, the neoliberals who actually control it and their major funders, would rather destroy the Democratic Party than allow people like me and you and watchers of A Green Way Forward to actually take over that party. I'll go one step further. I think 
that they would rather destroy the Democratic Party rather than to allow Ilhan Omar, uh, Pramila Jayapal, and Alexandria Octavia Cortez uh, and Bernie Sanders to take over the Democratic Party. Now, again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Democratic Party will ultimately one day uh, be part of an actual movement for peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. Maybe the Democratic Party can become some sort of transformational thing. But I'll be honest, y'all, I don't think that's possible. That's the reason that I've dedicated myself to creating an independent political party that is independent of both the leadership and the dictates uh, of capital, but also of the funding of large capital and capitalists. Those are great points, David. I'm just queuing up some comments and some questions here. Um, we've so got Sandy. This this yeah, go ahead. Super exciting. Oh, go ahead. Uh, sure. So Sandy writes in to say shared and that uh, she uh, wanted to give a shout out to the climate strike gathering in Buffalo that happened on Friday, even though she was not able to attend it. So thank you for that, uh, Sandy. And also we have Tracy, who says that she wants to keep fighting for ranked choice voting. Um, She knows it's a topic for a different day. And be certain, Tracy, that we will absolutely be spending more time on ranked choice voting in the future. And uh, she says that with uh, the presidential campaign in 2020, she doesn't want us to be torn again. Uh, Maybe Tracy's talking about the left or progressives or maybe even the Green Party. I have no idea, but probably more the formal, I I would assume. And Tracy says that fear cannot be a choice in our elections. Well said. And, you know, I'm also going to take this moment uh, to uh, circle back for a moment, speaking about the Green New Deal uh, and putting the context that we've been discussing this. I want to let you know, Michael, uh, that I was able to go on to mainstream corporate uh, radio for a full hour uh, and actually talk about uh, ranked, uh, pardon me, and actually talk about uh, the uh, Green New Deal and to distinguish our, the Green Party's Green New Deal from Alexandria Octavia Cortez. And that happened again uh, because of the work of you and people like you uh, and Greens like Peggy Coteen in St. Louis Obispo who let that happen. And I'm going to send you, Michael, uh, a link to that and invite you to drop that into, into the show link and encourage other people that, that this is how it works. By pushing the envelope, we're not denigrating either Alexandria Octavia Cortez or uh, the climate strikers We're trying to build on it, not to denigrate it, but to say, yes, it's a great start, but we've got to go even further. So, David, can you tell us more about your experience on that on that media opportunity? I mean, did you find the host to be receptive? Were they surprised that you wanted to go further than the AOC Green New Deal? Um, How did it go? No, uh, they weren't surprised, actually, because they expected it, because I had had a conversation up front. Uh, What they uh, I got a chuckle out of them because I actually said there's not two, but really three uh, Green New Deals. Of course, the real Green New Deal, which is the Green Party's version, uh, Alexandria Octavia Cortez, which is a progressive Democrat version. And then the third one being uh, promoted by Nancy Pelosi and the neoliberal corporate Democrats, which is. We can all say it together, right? Neither, neither green, green, nor, nor new, new, nor a deal. Nor a deal, right. right? I mean, and so I'm really trying to get that out there. And I want to give a hat tip to Michael O'Neill, who was the first person I heard 
uh, use that phraseology, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Um, the other thing that happened is it gave me an opportunity to refer to the Green Party's website in a Green New Deal and actually go point by point because he pushed me, the host pushed me by saying, look, this is, uh, this is aspirational. It's rhetorical. How would you actually do it? And I was able to actually get lay out point by point how we would create employment centers, how we, we, uh, we would create and transition away from coal and oil to sustainable solar geothermal uh, and other power sources. I was able to talk about the impact of our agricultural policies that would wean us away from uh, monoculture and corporate farming to ag- sustainable uh, agriculture and the impact that that would have. I was able to talk about uh, the military industrial complex. And I also should say this, uh, I, in the discussion of the military industrial complex said, and you know, the U.S. Army is the single largest emitter of greenhouse gases on planet Earth. And I just I just said that and we went on and one of their fact checkers immediately came back and said, well, the Union of Concerned Scientists say you're wrong. And uh, what was funny, Michael, is I said, oh, well, if I misspoke, then I will stand corrected if you've got better information. But I do know that the U.S. military is a large Uh, emitter of greenhouse gases. Perhaps they're not first. Uh, In addition to the which, I know that they consume inordinate amounts uh, of oil. Uh, And it was funny because Matthew Hoy, the the host said, wait a minute, what just happened? Did did a politician just admit that they were wrong, apologize, and then go on? And I gave me the opportunity to talk about how greens aren't interested in just scoring debate points are saying our talking points. If we misstate, misspeak, or make a, a, a say something that's incorrect, of course we're willing to say, oh, oops, our bad, but let's actually get back on track of our conversation. So that was a fun little uh, tidbit that I got. Well, um, it's, it's interesting to me that the priorities of their fact checker is like, well, maybe the U.S. military is only the second greatest emitter of, you know, <laughs> right right i mean let, let's, let's just you know be let's be fair here and and I, I don't is that like actually counting the bombs when they explode uh is that counting the greenhouse gases that go into reconstructing the things that our military blows up uh there there's a lot of fuzzy accounting there and i that's a, there, a topic really that i is. think is is worth pursuing there, there is michael but but the point is that uh I, and again I know that I am in a privileged position because having been a Green Party presidential nominee, having the privilege of managing the Stein Baraka campaign, uh, you know, I've got a little more ability to actually get on uh, radio. But we know Howie Hawkins was just on, for example. All I'm getting at, Michael, is I think that Greens, instead of whining around, we coined the phrase a Green New Deal or, you know, it was co-opted. Let's recognize that co-optation is called culture. This is how it works. We need to fight and struggle uh, to make it better. And you don't make it better by whining. You make it better by acknowledging that what AOC has done is actually good, but it's not good enough. And it needs to be and can be much better. And the Green Party is promoting that. Absolutely. And thank you for doing that work out there in the media trenches. Uh, David, is this a good time to transition to our next topic? 
It was. I was literally just about to do that because the thing, and you know, like I come out of poverty, Michael. So this next topic that I want to bring up uh, is is something that I think is really telling, and that is the college admission scandals. Now, to be clear, it's not exactly news that college admissions are, are rigged for the rich. The reality is the entire economic system is rigged for the rich. But the point is that this admission scandal is really the tip of the iceberg. And uh, I think it's crucial that everyone who understands that it's not just that a, a wealthy movie star or a hedge fund executive or some corporate CEO, uh, what we really understand that this college admission scandal is actually an indication that the entire system is corrupt, that it works against ordinary working people and squashes our opportunity for any real advancement. This idea of meritocracy is bullshit, and we should actually say it for what it is. The system uh, is the reason that rich people and corporations get massive tax breaks while the 99% get paltry ones. The system is the reason that the federal minimum wage and overtime are stuck at literal poverty levels. The system is the reason that labor unions participation and membership have actually gone down over the past four decades, even while people's desire to participate in unions go up. Why is that so? Because the legal system makes it almost impossible to form more unions. The system is the reason we can't have nice things. So for all the blather about land of equal opportunity, the rich ensure that only they get to have nice things. And it starts with illegally buying access for their children to have access uh, to the best quality schools. And remember this, this is after the wealthy have already paid for their children to attend expensive private preparatory academies, after they have paid uh, for testing and tutoring and so forth, even with all that advantage, they're still literally illegally bribing their way uh, into that system. So for me, this college admission scandal really needs to be a, a flashpoint for working class people and people who are not part of the owning class to rise up and say, ya basta, enough. This is yet one more example of the fact that the the, the American dream is actually a lie. That's how I'm seeing it. Absolutely. And the, the name or I don't know, the, the code of the American dream, the narrative of, of the American dream is meritocracy. The idea that you will get from the world, uh, rewards that are in proportion to your effort and your talent and the, and just the stick-to-itiveness that you put into the system. And we, and, and this scandal helps expose that even the people who are at the very top of, of the system don't believe that. They're, and, and we found out about these people because they were breaking the law. But David, as you pointed out, there are so many countless perfectly legal ways for wealthy elites to bribe their way in or bribe their family's way in or to, to keep their family in elite college institutions. And we know that with uh, diminishing jobs or more and more of, of the jobs economy uh, being subsistence jobs or barely even subsistence jobs, not not even jobs that can get you by as a family if you're working full time and even overtime, then these uh, these uh, slots in 
in elite educational institutions become more and more precious to, you know, to families that are trying to get out of poverty. And so it's even if there was no bribery and even if the, uh, the elite institutions played by the rules that they set out, it's still a morally bankrupt system because we shouldn't have a society where there are more ways to end up on the losing end of the system than to end up in, in a, a aspect of, of life where your uh, material needs are met and where you are able to live and work with dignity as a human being. Meritocracy is a lie, and it should not be the means by which we decide who gets left uh, to die uh, under an overpass and who gets to have a gilded mansion and, uh, and a gold iPhone. And I really appreciate, Michael, your ability to actually cut to the chase and help describe a different narrative. Meritocracy is a lie, not because those with uh, more skill, uh, it has nothing to do with that. The reality is that the capitalist economic system is fundamentally based on exploitation and oppression, and it is fundamentally empowering the wealthy and powerful to be able to control not only the labor market, but literally the wealthy and powerful are hoarding wealth, power, and decision-making authority. I mean, what in the world has made anyone believe that it's okay for the 0.01% to hoard so much of the the wealth and the good that, that exists on Mother Earth and do it to the point that children literally starve to death. It is immoral. It is not just unethical. It is not just unfair. It is fucking immoral to allow an economic system to exist that children starve to death. And yet that's what happens. And it reminds me uh, of Madeleine Albright when asked if it was worth it uh, that so many children were dying and she looked right in the camera and said, yes. Well, I don't think that the answer is yes. I think it's time. And in fact, the window is closing to be able to do anything about it because between the ecological crisis and the economic crisis, that's what's creating the political crisis that is allowing fascism to find root on American soil. So David, let's talk about demands, right? Like what are demands that we can make as as people, as uh, as comrades to help mitigate this uh, this uh, scandal and the underlying structure that the scandal has revealed. Well, for one thing, well, as Greens, we demand free college, right? We demand free quality public education from, you know, from pre-K all the way through college. I mean, that's something that we've demanded and campaigned here in New York. Well, that's right. And I think it's important that as Greens, what we're saying is that our demand is actually rooted in our understanding that access to education is a fundamental human right. Uh, and it's not a uh, it's not a privilege uh, that we beg for, but we make a demand that it be treated as a human right. Uh, and just as we demand that healthcare be a human right, just as we demand that access to clean air to breathe clean water to drink, and enough nutritious food to eat is a human right. So I appreciate you pushing us to say, how do we articulate our demands? And I'm going to say, let's make sure that we begin to make our demands and frame them in a human rights framework, uh, because that actually begins to create the meta narrative about 
what kind of society we want to live in. Right. And we want economic democracy to begin redistributing the wealth away from the super wealthy and back towards everyone else who have been getting their teeth kicked in for the past 30 years or more, in, in the case of some people, centuries. And that a, a living wage job is a human right uh, for everyone who is able to work. And for those who are not able to work, they have rights too. And their material and social and spiritual needs also need to be met with dignity. And we have the capacity to do this as a society. That's the tragedy. We could do this. The idea Absolutely. that go ahead, David. No, it's, it, it, we can do this. There are solutions to every single problem that we face. They're not being implemented because we, the people, are not actually in charge of our own government, and we haven't actually articulated demands in a militant way. And I wanted to take this opportunity, uh, just as the Green Party uh, really helped to promote the concept of a Green New Deal, and then opened up the space for other conversation. One of the things, Michael, that was ex incredibly exciting to me is the National Education Association uh, just published uh, an editorial calling for a push for free college. And when you read what Max Page and Dan Clawson have actually uh, written, uh, it looks like and it sounds like it comes right out of the Green Party's platform. Now, they don't give credit to the Green Party, just as Alexander Octavia Cortez did not give credit to the Green Party, but it's almost as if somebody is reading the Green Party platform and trying to cherry pick uh, some of the ideas and wrapping it uh, in how can we make this demand without uh, uh, upsetting the, 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 the ultimate system, which is why for me, uh, you can never buy off the Green Party, folks, because we as Greens are, yes, we articulate demands, but there's not a single one demand that will ultimately make us stop because we are revolutionaries. Our demand is to restructure the entire society. And at its core, it means economic democracy. And whether you call economic democracy socialism or democratic socialism or social democracy, we can parse the different meanings and I know that there are fundamentally different meanings to each one of those words, but at the core, the real question is, who is in charge? Who has the authority to make the fundamental decisions about how our society is organized? And what I know and what you, the reader listener, uh, knows of a Greenway Forward is that we, the people, are not actually ruling today. Large transnational corporations and the 0.01% oligarchs are actually ruling over us as surely as kings once ruled subjects and as surely as masters once ruled slaves. David, I think we're ready for our next topic. Boy, you know, Michael, the next topic is one that's really hard. Uh, and I'm going to actually kick it over to you because these horrific uh, shootings are continuing. And now we saw one in New Zealand at the Christ Church, which of course is not just uh, another mass murder, but one that is absolutely drenched in racist Islamophobic rhetoric. Yeah, and and fascist rhetoric. And I want to encourage folks to follow the Green Party of New Zealand. Uh, they are one of my more favorite Green Parties around the world. Uh, the Green Party of New Zealand have uh, people in Parliament. And they were very active around the climate strikes on Friday. And of course, they have been uh, responding uh, to the shootings in Christchurch. 
And I am very interested in, in seeing what the policy response within New Zealand will be to this horrific act of terrorism. And it absolutely was terrorism. And I'm interested in seeing how the New Zealand Greens will play a role in that. Um, in terms of the of the terrorist act itself, uh, it's it's tough because we have someone who clearly designed his his horrific act in such a way as to attract as much attention to his toxic, uh, terrible ideas as possible. This was a, a an act that was designed from beginning to end to go viral. From his shout out to PewDiePie before uh, he entered the mosque to the uh, the uh, the document, the what seventy six or eighty six page document that he uploaded before going on his rampage to the words that he uh, painted on his weapons and all the photo evidence. It's it's sickening. It's sickening that someone can. Uh, with a couple hundred dollars of consumer video equipment, make a worldwide statement through the language of horrific violence. And this is violence against uh, a, a mosque. This is a violence against a, a people and a, and a religion that has been uh, repeatedly terrorized around the world by militaries like the United States and, uh, and all of the, uh, the countries that have allied with the United States since 9-11 in pursuing an imperialist, racist, Islamophobic war, a global war on terror that, if anyone's being honest, has to admit has nothing to do with the actual group of hijackers and planners who actually executed the uh, the World Trade Center and, and Pentagon attacks of 9-11-2001. And the feedback loop that we're caught in, and this is critical, this is a feedback loop, it's self-reinforcing, is that we have state terrorism in the form of the global war on terror and the uh, unlawful imprisonment and torture of Muslim peoples and uh, the constant bombings of of countries that are pre- predominantly Arabic or or uh, Muslim, and then we have so that's the state terror aspect of it that sets the that that paves the way for the non-state terrorist actors like this psychotic individual in Christchurch, New Zealand, or uh, Anders Breivik, or uh, any number of the neo-fascist, white nationalist, white supremacist. Uh, individuals or groups and enclaves that have carried out non-state terrorism uh, <laughs> since the global war on terror began. And, and, and Michael, yeah. the, I really want to uh, underscore, thank you for that incredibly astute observation. And let's be clear, not only uh, is this gunman a, a racist fascist, but in his manifesto that he put online, he linked described Donald Trump as a symbol of white supremacy. Uh, He described the far-right extremism that he saw in the United States as his inspiration. Uh, Like He literally points uh, to what he's seeing in the U.S. uh, that inspired him, and not just U.S. fascists. There is a global fascist movement, uh, and it is... Uh, getting larger and stronger. And the only way we can ultimately defeat fascism is to restructure society so that fascism no longer has a reason to exist. Absolutely. And, 
and we have to uh, uh, we have to be clear about calling out the state terrorism and the policies of our nation and other nations that are explicitly or implicitly Islamophobic or racist or white supremacist or all of those things together. And we, we have to, and I've, you know, some weeks ago there was finally a New York times article talking about how uh, American um, police forces and the coast guard and things like that have been infiltrated by white supremacists, by overt white supremacists, as opposed to the implicit white supremacists, which is of course guided police doctrine and uh, and military uh, activities in the United States since arguably its founding. But uh, there's a few different angles we have to uh, attack this from. And one angle I'm going to attack it from, David, is that we've got someone, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to credit him with this, but we have a, a, a comment um, that I want to name just so that we can call attention to banning it. Uh, this person said the New Zealand attack may be considered a defense of Western civilization against many centuries of Islamic terrorism. Well, that is utter and straight BS, and we reject that, and you're about to get the ban hammer. Uh, but to just refute that, number one, I think as Gandhi said, Western civilization sounds like an interesting idea if they ever tried it. Uh, right. And uh, you know, when you say Western civilization, what you really mean is white supremacy. That's what you really mean. And we don't deal in dog whistles here on a green way forward. And it, centuries of Islamic terrorism, white supremacists and their nation states and their capitalist system have been dominating the world for, what, uh, a couple centuries now? More? I mean, that is what has led us to the, the brink of climate catastrophe and economic catastrophe. So uh, the only defense that we need is against... The evils that David has pointed out here a number of times on this uh, on this broadcast, the original sins of American empire uh, of, of of racism, uh, misogyny, capitalism, and uh, is white supremacy grouped in with the rest of racism, David, or, or did I have I missed any? No, I, I think that's that's fair enough. Yeah. So anyway, you take over, David, while I give this guy the ban hammer. Yeah, please do. And I also will take this opportunity to lift up uh, Mel Figueroa and the Green Party of California uh, that actually uh, created a, a specific position uh, for the Green Party of the United States National Committee to consider. And that was to take an explicit and unequivocal uh, position of anti-fascism. And the Green Party of the United States, to my knowledge, is the only political party that is running candidates for office that has been acknowledged by the Federal Election Commission as a national committee. Uh, we are the only political party to take an explicitly anti-fascist position. And it occurs to me that we ought to actually name the fact that uh, Antifa means anti-fascist. And so really... The, the question is, if you're, you're either anti-fascist or fascist, there's really not a way to be a little bit against fascism and a little bit for it. You know, uh, I'm reminded of, uh, the, the, the cartoon that has the, the fascist with, you know, uh, death to, uh, immigrants, uh, and other horrific language on their billboards. Uh, the other, uh, side that uh, is mobilizing people with a sign that that says justice for all and somebody in the middle uh, saying, hey, can't we just compromise here? The answer is you can't actually compromise. 
Uh, and I remember a time, I'm old enough to remember, when everybody was anti-fascist because we knew that fascism was a horrific ideology. We rejected it as a people categorically. And the fact that we're no longer doing that is actually pretty problematic. And I want to thank you, Michael, for uh, putting that comment out just so we could uh, exoriate it. And I want to thank you for the good judgment to ban uh, a closeted white supremacist who were trying to use our comments uh, to spew that hate. Because I'll tell you, I am absolutely a, a believer in free speech. But as a lawyer, I know that there is a difference under law and ethics and common damn sense between free speech and speech which is designed to incite violence against others. You do not have a right to incite violence against others. And fascist speech, by its definition, is about inciting violence against others. And we will deplatform that speech. There is no room for it on a green way forward. There's no room for it in the Green Party. David, I think we should maybe end on a high note. And I want to take a suggestion from the chat that we talk about Egg Boy. Have you heard about Egg Boy, David? You know, I have, and this is what I know, and I hope that it's true. Mm -hmm. Did somebody actually crack an egg on the head uh, of a right-wing member of parliament in Australia? Yes. Uh, Last weekend, I'm reading from rollingstone.com right now. Uh, Last weekend, an Australian teenager won the hearts and minds of people all around the world when he cracked an egg over the head of Fraser Anning, a far-right Australian politician who implied that immigration and Muslim fanatics were responsible for the shooting in Christchurch. His name is William Connolly. He's 17 years old, aka Egg Boy. And he has further endeared himself to the public by announcing that he will donate most of the proceeds of a GoFundMe page that was set up in his honor to the family members of the Christchurch shooting victims. The GoFundMe page was created to help fund Connolly's legal fees after he was arrested for egging Frazier. So good on you, egg boy. And uh, that is... And I want to tell you this, Michael... Can I, I'm going to make a judgment call and, and you can chastise me later for not following process. Let's do anything and everything we can to get William Connolly uh, on this program and uh, have a conversation with him. What do you think? Uh, we, can, we can always reach out. Let's do it. And, okay. and folks, any of you who have access uh, uh, to any channels by which you might help us get in contact with William Connolly, a.k.a. Egg Boy, please help us out. All right, David, uh, anything else that you want to talk about here? Listen, very quickly, there are a couple of upcoming events that I want to give a shout out to. Remember, April 1st through 5, uh, the the Green Party of the United States is, uh, through its Women's Caucus, is uh, doing a lobby day to get money out of elections. Uh, the annual national meeting for the Green Party of the United States is July 25, 28 in Salem, Massachusetts. And uh, I and other Greens are organizing an eco-socialism conference by Greens for Greens in Chicago, September 28th. So there's a lot of exciting stuff happening. We'll go deeper on each one of these things on programs as they go forward. As always, I want to thank Michael O'Neill. I want to thank you, the viewer listener. Remember, we're getting larger, stronger, and better organized because of people like you. Keep on keeping on. Peace. A Green Way Forward is broadcast live on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time from Dr. Jill Stein's Facebook page. Subscribe to our podcast and e-newsletter at agreenwayforward.org 
to make sure that you never miss an episode. You can also find us and rate us on iTunes, with more podcast platforms being added each week. Our theme music is Retro Future Dirty by Kevin McLeod, whose fine music can be found at incomptech.com and is available for use under a Creative Commons attribution license. This is Michael O'Neill for David Cobb reminding you to please spread the word about A Green Way Forward and to send us your thoughtful questions and comments to agreenwayforward at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.